One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. How would you feel if your bank called up asking if you needed some help managing your money? You might be grateful to receive some tips and guidance. But on the flip side, you might want to tell your bank to mind its own business. My special guest on Money Clinic Meets is a banking boss who thinks the financial world has a duty to teach customers about money. A lot of younger customers especially don't feel confident, I think, about how they manage their money into their future. So that's, they've been a real provocation to us. That's Chris Pitt, Chief Executive of First Direct. He's decided to invest in 40 money coaches to help First Direct customers who are feeling anxious about money during the cost of living crisis. People who are rationally, from the data that we've got, are under financial stress, don't recognise themselves in that situation. So... Opening up that conversation to get them to try and understand what's going on with their money is, is part of that. It's the latest marketing ploy from a branchless bank that's won countless awards for good customer service. And in today's episode, Chris tells me the money lessons he'd like to pass on and what his customers have taught him as they weather the ongoing financial storm. Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast about personal finance and investing from the Financial Times. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's Consumer Editor. I've met a lot of bankers during my time at the FT. And I have to say, Chris, in his jeans and trainers, is far from your typical banker and certainly not your typical CEO. Raised in East London, he got into the banking world as a teenager as the result of a family connection, but not the sort you might think. My mum who was a clerk at NatWest in Covent Garden, and she absolutely loved it. And then my great uncle was a messenger, and he kind of, he actually got me a job when I was uh, at university. So um, I was a messenger a couple of times wandering around the city of London. This was a time when big checks were passed between financial services institutions, and I used to kind of carry them around like my uncle had taught me. Now, your journey from messenger boy um, for banks in the city all the way up to CEO of of one of the biggest banks in the UK now. Obviously, there's been quite a lot of twists and turns along the way. But what got you your first proper job in in banking? How did that all happen? Whenever I walked past Cannon Street, there's a big Lloyd's there. And I went for an interview to be an A-level student into the bank of Lloyd's and never, ever heard back from them. And I was kind of feel as I want to walk up the steps there and knock on the door and say, you know, it's extraordinarily rude even not to, to tell me anything. I did actually get a job with Barclays, but decided then to, to go to university anyway. 
After studying history at university, Chris tried again and applied to the graduate trainee scheme at TSB, famously the bank that likes to say yes, and thankfully they did. That's where I started. I'm very conscious here that as a a white middle-aged man, I've got a lot of superpowers in that space anyway, but I don't think someone of my background would have got into uh, to be a CEO. Chris, one question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast is, what's your earliest money memory? Could you tell us yours? My first memory that instantly springs to mind, my mum was mortified that I was going to tell you this, is um, my first kind of connection with money was my mum used to send me around the corner to buy 10 number six tipped for her. Cigarettes? Cigarettes. And how old were you? Probably about nine. Oh, wow. (laughs) So the, the, the world has very much changed. And my memory of that was kind of making sure that I got the right change. Um, the memory she prompted me to say was when she told me not to put the £5 note in my back pocket when I was going to cycle off to, to buy some shopping for her because it was going to ride up and fall out, and it, it did exactly that. Oh. I, and I spent three hours trying to find this five for I felt terrible. And how do you think those memories, being careful with money, has sort of gone on to to influence your attitude towards money as an adult? Well, the kind of the broader and hopefully slightly less comedic version of that is my, my dad once had to borrow some money of my granddad to pay the gas bill and that that has been at the heart of my attitude towards money if I didn't have the money to look after my family I've got nowhere to go it's down to me I can't go to what I would call financial nepotism we'll talk to Chris about his difficulties spending money later on He went on to specialise in marketing and over his career has worked for TSB, Tesco Bank and HSBC. In 1989, HSBC launched First Direct, or FD as Chris calls it, as a very newfangled concept. A telephone bank without any branches. FD famously launched at a minute past midnight, the 1st of October 1989, just so you didn't need to bank in a branch. We want to be there for them wherever they are. You call us up. You don't get into any IVRs, you don't press any one twos, one threes, you just speak to someone. And we have that and we continue to have that and we'll always have that. But 50% of my calls every week are from 4% of my customer base. And obviously what started off as a telephone bank has now morphed into a digital bank. But there's quite a lot of competition from other banks that are digital only, that are coming up with whizzy new apps. How can First Direct compete with that? It's a, re- a really good question. I think the fintechs, as we kind of broadly call them, have been a massive stimulant to to my industry. You know, in terms of provocation to make things better, and the way that we see that is really kind of in fast money and slow money. Kind of, you know, buying yourself a coffee, and then the kind of slow money is the mortgages and investments. It's the provocation is now you can open an FD current account in eight and a half minutes. You can go from starting your application to getting your debit card into your wallet. In the cost of living crisis, more and more customers are coming under financial pressure. But often, asking their bank for help is the last thing they would think of doing. Rather than waiting for customers to pick up the phone and call, First Direct is taking a more, dare I say it, parental approach, trying to spot and reach out to those who might be having a tricky time. So... We've got about 100 people who do customer care calls, you know, for people who are vulnerable. But we've added to that with 40 people who are money coaches. So they are talking to people about how to manage their money and they can feed off the main call centre to actually give additional support. Mm. And what kind of things are customers asking your money coaches 
about what are the areas, especially that younger customers tend to tend to need more help and advice with. Budgeting, I think, and it's kind of it's an element of um, it's the cornerstone of effective financial planning. I think you've got questions around what might be coming around the corner, so interest rate charges or you know bills around cost of living. Interestingly, we reached out to um, fifteen hundred of our customers who we from our data we knew might be in a negative situation either now or under stress with their finances to try and understand what support we should give them. And did you have a negative reaction from any customers? Because I can foresee if a bank phoned me up and said, hmm, we've noticed that you're in your overdraft every month. Um, we've noticed that you've missed a bill payment. You've had a charge. You know, this is something that we can help with here. I might be quite defensive and, and, and say, well, it's none of your business. Yeah, and clearly we didn't frame it like that. It was never designed and it was not intended to kind of... Uh, be a wagging finger. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And I think it's getting some insight about how we could be better relative to the challenges that we knew these customers were going to have. So, for instance, younger customers who maybe have less control of their money or kind of are less interested in engaging to it, if you prompt them to say you need to pay this bill so you don't get a charge for a credit card fee or something... Even though two-thirds of its customer base are over the age of 46, Chris gets that younger generations face many more challenges when it comes to earning money, saving money, and achieving big financial milestones like buying their first home. The way that I see it is you've got three needs, especially for younger customers, which is it's got to be simple, intuitive, easy. And then the kind of coaching bit is in building confidence because a lot of younger customers especially don't feel confident, I think, about how they manage their money into their future. Well, let's talk a little bit more now about the, the cost of living crisis. Now, if you ask an economist about it, they're starting to feel a bit more optimistic at the moment, saying we're over the hump, certainly when it comes to inflation, which is starting to tick down, gas prices starting to fall. But when it comes to people's personal finances, are we really through the worst? Or do you think that a lot of the fallout has yet to come in terms of people's own personal finances? I mean, I talk to customers and I'm engaged with trying to help customers in the day-to-day. I think this feels like nothing's moved on at this point in time. This is the point of impact for some of those bills. I mean, I see that kind of personally. I'm looking at my bill for my energy. You know, it should come through from having my family around at Christmas and it's extraordinarily high relative to what it had been. Now, there'll be a lot of people who are homeowners listening to the podcast who know that they're going to have to remortgage um, in the future, maybe in the next year, maybe a little bit further out from that. Now, in terms of the kinds of solutions that banks are able to offer, what would you say to people listening in terms of the options that might be available to them, particularly if they are younger and they do have um, a pretty chunky mortgage that an interest rate hike could really push up the monthly cost of? Yeah, the thing that springs to mind, Claire, relative to that is, I mean, a stat which surprises me still, is that 40% of our first-time buyers take a mortgage out, which is over 30-year term. So you can do a 40-year term with FD. And that ability to, to manage down your monthly repayment, you know, and I think sometimes in our industry we get lost in the amount of money people borrowing or their loan-to-value, but actually that monthly repayment is so important. And so that ability to kind of manage your repayment by looking at the term but then on the flip side, and again, something that we offer is kind of unlimited overpayments so that when you do have some cash, it gives you that flexibility to then pay off so you don't pay as much interest necessarily. Of course, 
While extending your mortgage term will reduce your monthly repayments, it also means you will end up paying a lot more interest to the bank over the life of the loan. Are you seeing a greater desire from customers who do have um, a bit of money to make bigger lump sum payments or regular monthly overpayments on their home loans? We absolutely have seen that. And then we've seen 40% of customers who are first-time buyers extending the period because they haven't got lump sums to pay. But for the people who can afford it, and especially during the pandemic where some of our customers built up savings, they're now utilising that to make overpayments. And we have introduced 95% mortgages this year, as I talked about, 40-year terms as well. You can also get a 10-year fixed rate with FD. Are they increasing in popularity now, the 10-year fixed rates? Yeah, we've been surprised actually by the level of take-up of that. I think what's happened with interest rates means that the idea that people have certainty over their future and kind of their repayment, especially over Mm. a longer term. As the financial world becomes harder for young people to navigate, Chris, like me, believes that finding ways of boosting financial literacy is something that can't be ignored. Why do you think it should be up to banks to help educate young people about money? Would you like to see more being done in schools and universities and workplaces? Oh, absolutely. I I think it's central. I mean, you look at the the reading age of people in the UK is extraordinarily low. I think it's going to be the nine or 11, I think. In terms of financial literacy, it's going to be of that sort of ilk. And that is our job, you know. Banks shouldn't be living off the societies in which they operate, should be absolutely part of them. And giving that support and advice to people is absolutely essential to that, you know, essential to the ethos. And I think educating people who lack confidence in understanding finance or kind of don't think they understand it or giving them the the right support is, is actually essential to what banks should be about. Now, a lot of what the banks are doing in terms of financial education is very centred around products, you know, how to understand how a mortgage works before you take one out, um, how to understand how a savings account works before you open one for yourself or, or or for your child. So there's a kind of vested interest, if you like, in investing the money in providing the educational resources. But you told me earlier on in our interview that budgeting is the number one thing that customers want to learn about. Now, of course, if customers can't budget, the bank could profit from that in terms of overdraft charges, interest um, on, on money that's owed, credit card fees, the list is endless. So why is it in the interests of the banking industry to invest money in educating customers about these essential life skills? Because we should be there for people for, you know, whether they're starting out in life or, you know, whether they're getting towards the end of their life. It's about loyalty. It's got to be about loyalty. You know, it's not about how much money. If you do the right thing for people and work really hard to do that, you will get people who will come back to you and be loyal to your organisation. And that is what I'm all about. The latest hike to interest rates will be unwelcome news for mortgage borrowers, but it is better news for savers, providing, of course, that banks pass the rate rise on. Something that MPs on the influential Treasury Select Committee have been investigating. First Direct currently offers the highest interest rate on the market, 7% on its regular saver account for customers who are able to commit to saving up to £300 every month. It's been very successful for us. One of the things I'm most proud of with that is what we did is for customers who already had a regular saver with us, without having to contact us, we put their rate up so they didn't have to close one down and open another one. 
So not only has it been successful in terms of recruiting new customers, but also we did the right thing by actually going back to people where we didn't necessarily, under the terms of their previous regular saver, actually have to give them that money. And are people still able to find money to save? Because one of the first casualties of the cost of living crisis has been saving, ironically, even as interest rates rise. Well, on the basis of the numbers that we're doing, absolutely. I think the other thing is you can do is, you, you know, you can put in up to £300, but you can put in £100. So there's, you can you can start off. You know, and one of the things that is central to saving is habit. And so it allows people to build a habit. I'm very conscious of that relative to going to the gym. As a gym goer myself, I never go in January because you know that come February, it will be a lot quieter. It's because people want to do it, but they can't get into the habit. So you've got to encourage the habit. And what that does is it encourages the habit as well. What other money habits, Chris, do you have in your own life that have served you well that um, might work for podcast listeners? What I'd encourage people to do is is make sure you live within your means. Mm. Simple, but the cornerstone of pretty much everything in finance. Yeah, you want to put your head on the pillow every night and not worry about money. And I think that's the function of doing that, living within your means. With a long-term habit like investing... Chris stresses that you can start small. I think building a habit is great. I remember I opened an ISA and then I've actually just used that ISA money to to renovate my house. And I started that many, many years ago when that small amount of money I'm investing in that ISA was a lot of money to me. But kind of adding a little bit to it every now and then, and then you never appreciate that you've got that. So you never think about needing it. And all of a sudden you kind of wake up one day and you think, blimey. It's worth that. That's, I think, a really important thing to do and something I try to encourage my boys to do completely ignore me. Chris admitted that he finds it hard to spend money. So I asked him what his biggest weakness was. Like lots of men my age is that I've had to stake up cycling because I can no longer run. I used to run marathons. And um, I bought a bike to cycle on the canals into Birmingham. And then I moved to Yorkshire where it's very hilly. And I thought, you can't buy yourself another bike unless you've you've shown that you're going to get into it. So I was riding this steel frame bike up extraordinarily steep hills. The first time I went out on this steel frame bike, I got off nine times and pushed it because I just didn't have the confidence or I couldn't get it up the hills. And I told myself, when I could actually cycle it over a weekend and actually get up every hill, I'd buy myself a bike that was fit for purpose. So I have got a carbon bike now and I've got one bike. I've got, I'm not into bikes. And I said to my wife, can I buy this? Because I didn't, I felt... You needed permission. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was, it was, you know, because my wife, you know, I've been able to earn my money because of the things that she's brought to our partnership. Mm. So I thought, I'm not going to go and spend this money without her agreement. So that's the most amount of money that I've ever spent on something that's just for me. And I must admit, I still feel a bit guilty about it now. Can I ask how much this bike cost? Uh, two and a half thousand pounds. Chris, as you might have gathered, isn't a flashy bloke. Another of his habits every Monday night is personally making some of those outgoing calls to customers of the bank, many of whom have been victims of fraud, which of course has spiked during the cost of living crisis. However, First Direct was praised by Witch, the consumer champion, for how speedily it answered calls from customers who feared they had been defrauded. The average time to answer the phone was 16 seconds. So you've got to be there. Now, I think one of the problems that we've got as an industry in this space is that often you're not thinking you're going to be defrauded therefore the things you learn if you go through the process of being defrauded train you for the next time around it's making sure that you get trained for the first time around 
But I mean, for for the other banks, I mean, yes, if you are a first direct customer, somebody will pick up the phone um, within 16 seconds and you won't need to go through an endless menu of options to to get there. Um, But there's no guarantee that other banks are going to invest more in customer service, telephone agents, as they are reducing the branch numbers. And I think that's where the the real anger from from customers is, is, is coming from. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't comment upon what other banks are going to do. I can only talk to what, what we're going to do, really. It was actually three seconds in we answered the calls on Friday, just so you... Oh, wow. <laughs> OK. <laughs> we're, we're thinking of kind of employing Mystic Meg so we can ring people up before they think about calling. From telephone banking to digital apps, who knows what the future holds for the world of banking, but it's refreshing to hear that the human element is still part of the service. Well, Chris Pitt, it's been a pleasure speaking to you on Money Clinic Meets. Thank you, Claire. It's been um, a pleasure talking to you. That's it for Money Clinic with me, Claire Barrett, this week. And we hope you like what you heard. If you did, spread the word and leave us a review. We're always looking to chat with people about their money issues on the show. If you're interested in being part of a future episode and need some expert money advice, then just email us, money at ft.com. You could also take a peek at our website, ft.com slash money. Grab a copy of the FT Weekend newspaper or follow me on Instagram. I'm at Claire B. Money Clinic was produced in London by Persis Love. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner and our editor is Manuela Saragossa. You heard original tunes this week by Metaphor Music. And finally, our usual disclaimer, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's all the small print for now. See you back here next week. Goodbye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.